And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, he is Eric Harley and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Trump is officially a ham sandwich. We'll get to that here in just a couple of uh, moments. Uh, But uh, breaking news here in the last uh, hour and a half. Brandon Johnson wins the Chicago mayoral contest. So somebody more anti-police than Lori Lightfoot. More anti-business than Lori Lightfoot. More insanely liberal than Lori Lightfoot has won the mayoral race in Chicago. I'm just thinking of Kevin Bacon in Animal House right now. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Thank you, sir. May I have another? Make it worse. Make it worse. Make it worse. All I have to say is Chicago, you get what you deserve. And let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Chicago. Meanwhile, in other news, Eric Stilotti has his laryngitis is still bad. Yeah. It's got to be killing him. He's just like me. Even when we go on vacation, uh, you know, and we'll, the last show will be Thursday night, Friday morning. He's just like me. By the time we get to probably Tuesday of that week. It's like, okay, in our minds, we can still enjoy ourselves on vacation, but by Tuesday, it's like, okay, been off the air too long. <laughs> and so, <laughs> not only is all this news happening, and by the way, thanks for all the emails and things wishing Eric well. It's just, it's a super bad case of laryngitis. Uh, and yesterday he said it's really not that much better, so... Uh, we're still we're still not sure. I want him back now, but I know it's got to be killing him. It's got to be killing him. It really does. The fact that all this stuff is going on, and there's one thing. When you do this as long as he's done it and I've done it, it's one thing to analyze it in your mind, but there there is a release being able to physically talk about all of these things. 
There is, ah, you know it, it's called venting. Yes. And he's not able to do that. And I know he wants to. And I know things must be going through his mind at a million miles a second, as they have been for me and for you and everything else with all the news uh, over the last couple of days, and especially uh, uh, yesterday. So, again, we wish uh, Eric well and uh, hope that uh, he is back here very, very, very soon. Make a miraculous recovery and be back tomorrow, Eric. That's what I'd like to see. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, I, I guess Trump is a ham sandwich. The, <laughs> because that's what happened. They <laughs> this well, we'll get into the specifics of it here in just a couple of seconds. But first, let me just play. I'll, I'll play uh, an audio cut. This is uh, from uh, uh, Trump last night at Mar-a-Lago. Beginning with the radical left, George Soros-backed prosecutor Alvin Bragg of New York. who campaigned on the fact that he would get President Trump. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. This is a guy campaigning. He wanted to get President Trump at any cost, and this before he knew anything about me, didn't know a thing about me. He was campaigning. As it turns out, virtually everybody that has looked at this case, including rhinos and even hardcore Democrats, say there is no crime and that it should never have been brought. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Al- Alvin Bragg yesterday was, was asked the question because the one thing about this case is there, they, he won't tell you what the crime is. You don't know what the crime is that takes us to a felony, and he was asked about that yesterday at the press conference. So let, me, let me say as an initial matter, the, the indictment doesn't specify that because the law does not so require uh, in my remarks, I mentioned a couple of laws, which I will highlight uh, again now. Uh, the, the, the first is New York State election law. By the way, New York State election law has nothing to do with the federal campaign. Let's continue. What makes it a crime uh, to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. Again, state law has nothing to do with the federal election, so that's bogus. I further indicated a, a number of unlawful means, including more additional false statements, including statements that were planned to be made to tax authorities. Okay, statements that were planned to be made to tax authorities, but were not. Otherwise, there'd be a tax violation in there for New York State. That was the one that blew a lot of people's minds. So you're now saying what he planned to do but didn't do is part of the, the crime. This is, I mean, this is just, it's... Uh, uh, let me, I'll, I'll play it. Let's continue here. <laughs> I also noted the federal election law cap on contribution uh, limits. But why weren't there? Okay, and there it is right there, the, 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 the whole federal crime. But he didn't specifically state the crime. And by the way, there's been a lot of talk on that. Apparently he can do that uh, when when he has to present the bill of particulars. He can't do that anymore. He has to be precise on exactly what he is charging Trump with. I will tell you this, and this is something we we never really got to talking about anything like this on such a, a level. I'm going to have to look into the actual law. I think that law sucks. The fact that you can do what Bragg did, and you can bring a, you, you can arrest somebody, you can fingerprint them, you can... Because I'm not talking about, I know Trump can afford the lawyer fees and everything else, but the hassle of anybody else who has to go through all of this, 
and you have to sit before a judge. And I'm and I'm not talking about Trump here. I'm talking about anybody else because this law applies to apparently to everybody. And you don't have to be specific on what law was broken. And in essence, you are under federal custody and you're not told what the law is you've broken. Look, if you're talking about terrorism on the federal level and you believe that somebody is a terrorist and you and and you get to hold them, whether it's a material witness or whatever, that's one thing. But this here uh, is just... Let, let me put it this way. It shouldn't be that way. One of the things that I wanted to get to and get this out of the way up up top, because we got tons of audio today and, and analysis on, you know, the specifics of what uh, Bragg put out there. But uh, I did see a um, it was on uh, YouTube and it was Fox News YouTube. And it was just the, the headline. It showed Tucker Carlson. It says Tucker says these charges don't make sense. And I and I didn't listen to exactly what he said. I just read the headline. So I'm not. I'm not, again, this is not about Tucker Carlson. It's just when I saw that, I went, oh, a lot of people are asking that question, aren't they? I mean, this doesn't make any, why would you do something like this? It doesn't make any sense. This case is so horribly weak. Why would you do this? I guess you could sit there and say, well, he's an angry, spiteful liberal who hates Donald Trump, and we know how that drives the Democrats. That could be number one. Number two, they believe that and we've discussed this, they believe that this will help Trump in the uh, in the primary and hurt him in the general election. And number three, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's not, you can take those two, but there's a third one that I think is even critical and must be discussed. Because we talk about it in everything that the left does. Look at the liberal transgender activist movement and how insane they are. Look how they went after women Ivy League swimmers, threatening to destroy their life. The cancel culture that exists out there. I believe the other part of this is, there is another part, it doesn't matter whether they succeed short-term or long-term on this. They're sending a message that we will break every procedure. We will do anything. If you side against us, we will do everything to destroy your life. And we don't care who you are. If you don't bow down before our mindset and our political philosophy, we will destroy you. And I think that cannot be discounted here that there's a message. It, we'll, go after, we'll go after Trump. And if we go after Trump, we'll go after you. We'll destroy your life by abusing the legal system. And we don't give a damn. Because you look at this case. I had said it over the last two weeks. There's got to be something else here. There's just got to be something else. You can't bring something this week. Well, what we got yesterday was actually weaker than what had been leaked because he won't even be specific 
about what the crime is that piggybacks this to a felony. Oh, I don't have to tell you. What? And, you know, I, like I said, I just, I shake my head because the, on the left, we'll, we'll get, we'll go through some of the people that have, you know, just said, well, you know, there's nothing here. People we know that don't like Trump. And so the point is, we will abuse the legal. If if you don't think that we're out to get you, well, we're getting Trump. We will do everything we can to destroy Trump, inconvenience him, destroy his reputation by accusing him of a crime where they can't identify the crime. Go down in history to indict a president because we will do anything to get him, which means if we'll do anything to get him, we'll do anything to get you. That's the message. And that's across the board on everything today. You don't agree with them, boom. With the left, there's no discussion. Either you agree with us. You know, we saw that we played the audio cut from last uh, July uh, when you had, uh, was it Josh Hawley, who was uh, interviewing a professor from Berkeley and asking questions, you know, about the, uh, you know, about, you know, how do you define a woman? And the professor said, well, just by saying that, you're transphobic. What are you you talking about? I'm asking questions. You can't ask the questions because if you ask the questions, uh, you have to understand 25% of transgenders attempt to commit suicide. By So by you asking the question, that's hate speech. So you can't even say that. So you can't even talk about it. It's just we're right. You can't talk about it or you're responsible for someone else's death. They had to come up with an explanation for it. So it's you're responsible for someone else's death. We saw in the liberal transgender activist movement in, in uh, uh, the Ivy League. We've seen how they've just tried to destroy... How you have, well, you saw the poll, 60% of the people avoid topics because they're afraid of losing their jobs. They're afraid of the intimidation that comes along with it. And this is just another message coming out from the left that, hey, you, you're being warned. We don't care what abuse we have to do of the legal system. We'll get Trump. We'll get you. Understand the message coming from the Democrats and the left. We got a great show ahead. If you want to get in, we'd love to hear from you. 866-90-RED-EYE. Cold weather takes a toll on trucks. As warmer weather rolls in, it's time to assess the impact winter has had on your vehicle before you find yourself stranded roadside this spring. Begin your spring maintenance routine by inspecting your brake system and listen closely for any air leaks. During winter, water and moisture that builds up in your air brake system almost always freezes and turns to ice, which can damage your air valves, air dryers, and other essential components. Check and drain your air tanks to help keep water, contaminants, and corrosion at bay. Also, check your slack adjusters for proper stroke and lubrication. And check your brake lining or pads to ensure proper thickness. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. 
In Trudeau Radio, I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, Eric's uh, still out, folks. He's uh, uh, still got that laryngitis. So, Coming up on the show, following the bottom of the hour, we will hear from uh, Trump's uh, attorneys. And uh, also we will hear from um, uh, Jonathan Turley. We've, we've got just tons of, of uh, audio uh, uh, today, some, some great things, even some great things in the last couple of hours of the, the weakness of this, as Andrew McCarthy is saying, non-indictment. That's Technically, it's actually not an indictment, and he explains uh, uh, why. And some fascinating new concepts out there. But a- as we have said, just to quickly explain what we had thought, and by the way, the leaks were pretty accurate. The leaks were accurate. The leaks were right on. And, and so these were leaks that came from, you know, the prosecution side of it, whether it's individual grand jury members or you had the leak from the actual grand jury, which, by the way, has been brought up over and over again as a felony. But what we what uh, we had thought even before the leaks had started just from the witnesses was basically what uh, what we got, except the case was actually weaker. And I had said there's got to be something else. And the something else ended up being, we're just not going to tell you what the crime is. Why won't they tell you what the crime is? Well, some experts have said they actually don't have the crime. They can't find the crime. Well, how did they get the indictment? All that coming up, because all that discussion uh, was was, uh, out there uh, yesterday uh, on it. I'm reading this here. When you think of Trump haters, John Bolton, Mitt Romney, blast Manhattan DA Bragg's weak case. I saw Mick Mulvaney, who used to you know work with the president in the White House. He came out and said, the president's probably in a great mood because you sit there and you look at it and across the board, everybody, here's the thing, everybody knew that the legal case of what was suspected even before the leaks said was weak. The surprising thing was, here he comes out, and by the way, Bragg was actually questioned by reporters. They actually, see, I wish Eric was here so we could look at each other when I say this. Reporters actually did their job. I know, shocking. (laughs) They actually did their job. And, you know, and and asked the, the, the very pertinent questions, but what I think blew everybody away was the fact that the case is weaker because he won't be, because he won't be specific as to what the crime is. At least we knew where he was going with the federal law. And as we did earlier, we went point by point on what Bragg says the other crime would be. Well, the state law doesn't matter. It's a federal election. That law is for state elections. You know, that you know that doesn't matter. Talking about what the Trump intended, what Trump intended to do is a crime. Well, if he didn't do it, then it's not a crime. And the other one is, well, the federal election law. Which one? I mean, it just, I, it was a legal disaster. Uh, yesterday for uh, Bragg, and this could have the effect. This is so bad. This could have the effect 
of actually having people and maybe even some independents have sympathy for Trump. The Democrats may have been able, you know, because I saw saw the uh, headline, Democrats uh, basically with a Trump rally uh, here, campaign rally, because they're helping him. We'll talk more about this coming up. Hang on. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. You're listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And I'm Gary McNamara. Eric's still out with uh, laryngitis. Hey, download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. So, yeah, just uh, uh, very briefly uh, uh, again, can you believe at the bottom of the hour interfered with my with my monologue there? Um but yeah, it's the that was the surprise was that the actual indictment was was just um, was weaker than what all the leaks said it was going to be, and and what you know people were basically uh, assuming the charges were going to be. Now they were very close to it, but it was weaker because he would not even list what the specific charge is. So we'll get to more of the analysis on that. I want to get to some of the audio that we have, plenty of audio. This was uh, Trump's lawyers after the arraignment hearing yesterday. Were you surprised by anything in the indictment? No. How about you, Joe? Were you surprised? Yeah, I was surprised there were no facts in there. I mean, normally in an indictment you have alleged facts. So they said that this was a false business record entry to aid and abet another crime without saying what the other crime was. Can you talk about his demeanor? How is he doing? Trump's reaction was when he saw the charges when you say what his reaction was, what do you expect his reaction was? I mean, his reaction his reaction was exactly what would happen if it happened to anybody that I'm looking at now or anybody that's hearing what you're saying. 
Um, he's, he's frustrated. He's upset. But I'll tell you what, he's motivated. And it's not going to stop him. And it's not going to slow him down. And it's, it's exactly what he expected. And so to that extent, there's no surprise. But he's also, he's also, he's also upset and frustrated and disappointed and mad that this happened. What about the warnings against his enemy's rhetoric on Twitter? What was the well, there, there was not a warning. What do you, what do you mean? From, from well, the judge, talking about the judge the did not warn. The, 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 the district attorney made a statement um, addressing what they perceived to be. Um, I'm not sure what the words they use. Inappropriate rhetoric of some sort. Um, the, obviously, we responded, and the judge just took it in. The judge didn't warn. He asked the parties to to consider what they're saying and not saying. Guys, he did not is, admonish the president. No, and that's no, there was no admonishment. Did the president not use language that would incite violence or civil unrest? He did he not request, request that the that the president not use language. He requested that everybody involved refrain from using language that's inappropriate. And by the way, that includes that includes the witnesses. The witnesses for the people um, who are talking just as much as the president. The former president swinging a baseball bat at the head of the Manhattan DA. Well, I don't know where you got that because if that you... That was a tweet that was, by the former president. That, no, it wasn't. And first of all, first of all, first of all, that picture was not swinging a baseball bat. I mean, if you want to distort the facts, go right ahead. I won't address that. Yes, it is. He wasn't swinging a baseball bat at anyone's head. That was a picture of him showing off an American-made bat. Someone else put a picture of the district attorney next to him and in an article posted that. That's not his Guys, here's what we're going to talk about today. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the insufficiency of this case. And I will say this to you. Today's unsealing of this indictment shows that the rule of law died in this country. Because while everyone is not above the law, no one's below it either. And if this man's name was not Donald J. Trump, there is no scenario we'd all be here today. Please understand that based on these charges. When? Uh, yeah, eight o'clock. What are we, we going to? Well, I, I don't know. You, you'll hear it. You should tune in and you'll hear it. You think, think we know? One of the trials Can you? In January. Did you think that was realistic? No. Can you guys talk no. about? There's no, a lot of speculation about the unity among defense attorneys. Look at this. There's Look at us. Of, is that why you chose Look. to do this? To come out together? We chose chose to come out together so we could speak with one voice. But there is no disunity here. That's gossip and it's nonsense. We've been working together and we will be working together. And this, to me, quite frankly, is the best team I've ever worked with, the lawyers. Um, I'm honored to be working with these guys. It's a family. It's a team. And we have one mission and we'll achieve that mission. What's your next move? What's your next move? I mean, I'm going to go home and um, have some food. What about the change of venue stuff? When do we... I mean, we're going to start filing the case. I didn't mean to be flipping. When when do you start filing motions? I'm assuming one of the first things you're going to do... The judge set a motion schedule. To dismiss. um, I assume that'll be judge. The judge set a motion schedule um, that requires motion files in four months. So that's when we'll be filing motions. This whole notion about how this is sort of a, like a novel or uh, do you... It's not a notion. It's actually it's like, a fact. It's never but, been charged but talk before. talk about that. But like, There's nothing else to say except the, the district attorney. Um, this, this this office has existed for decades and decades. And you have ne- you can find one if you'd like. You, you'll never see a charge like this um, ever you understand this case. You understand this. It's as simple as this. A state prosecutor is prosecuting a, a federal election law violation that doesn't exist according to federal election law officials. It's as simple as that, that you could sum it all up like that. There you go. And uh, that was uh, uh, the uh, uh, two of his, three of his lawyers uh, yesterday speaking 
uh, after it. I just it's interesting how the 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 press wants to go to the <laughs> you know the uh, tabloid type of uh, uh, questions instead of. You know, nobody, you notice nobody's saying, look, this is a, the report, the liberal reporters aren't saying, look, this is a strong case. And, uh, this is a case that, uh, this is a great, a, a, a case that, um, um, that, uh, you know, these are solid points that the prosecution has made against the president. Nobody's saying that. Nobody can discuss on the left the actual substance of the allegations uh, from Bragg, the DA. Nobody can. Uh, there were, by the way, there were some entertaining moments. The, the, the one, did you see the, 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 the one woman, the anti-Trump woman who was, she looked like the walking dead. <laughs> Just watching on the video, this she's like screaming and screaming and screaming, and then, but she did look like The Walking Dead. I mean, I don't know what in the world she was, was she was dressed in, but it was just it was the to me it was it was pretty funny, and then the meme came out later on with the headline above: "Look, Madonna outside the courthouse." Oh. <laughs> Uh, part of the problem, I, I want to read here, this is uh, from uh, this is uh, from Andrew McCarthy. What a disgrace, National Review. It's always possible to be surprised. The indictment brought by Manhattan's elected Democratic District Attorney Alvin Bragg against Donald Trump is even worse than I imagined. Bragg's indictment fails to state a crime, not once, but 34 times. On that ground alone, the case should be dismissed before one ever gets the, to the facts of the statute of limitations that has lapsed and that Bragg has no jurisdiction to enforce federal law if that's what he's trying to do, which still remains murky. Uh, Bragg's indictment charges 34 counts, just as we said it would, based on media reporting that clearly came from illegal leaks from grand jury information, a crime you can be sure that goes in the overflowing bucket of serious offenses that Bragg refuses to prosecute. The 34 counts arrives is arrived at by taking what is a single course of conduct and absurdly slicing it into parts, each one which is charged as a separate felony carrying its own potential four-year prison term. Trump reimbursed Michael Cohen in monthly allowances during 2017 for $130,000 to pay porn star Stormy Daniels right before the 2016 election for her silence about the alleged affair. That, in reality, is a single transaction. Trump paying back a debt to Cohen. Yet because Trump paid in installments, and each installment includes an invoice from Cohen, a bookkeeping entry by the Trump Organization, and a payment to Cohen by check, Bragg not only charges each monthly installment separately, but he subdivides the installments into, into installments as if an invoice, book entry, and check were independent criminal events. Viola, one transaction becomes 34 felonies. 
as I observed a few days ago, this is exactly the sort of abusive behavior that rogue prosecutors engage in and thus that the Justice Department admonishes federal prosecutors to avoid. Here from the Manhattan DA's office that the legendary lawman Robert Morgenthau led for 34 years, no less, we now have an egregious example of this low tactic as one can find. In a real prosecutor's office, the district attorney is the adult who makes sure his inexperienced young subordinates don't abuse their enormous power this way. But in Manhattan DA's office, Bragg is the example of the abuse. The tactics only demonstrate the shoddiness of the case. A prosecutor holding a weak hand tries to hoodwink the jury into believing the defendant must be a criminal despite the lack of evidence, hence the dozens of counts. A prosecutor holding weak hands also hedges his bets in this way. The jury may uh, the jury may flush most of the indictment down the drain, but the unscrupulous unscrupulous excuse me prosecutor knows if he can secure a single guilty verdict, even with thirty three acquittals, he has achieved his objectives of branding his target a felon. The worst due process abuse of Bragg's indictment, however, is that it's not an indictment. The Constitution's Fifth Amendment guarantees that Americans may not be accused of a serious crime, essentially a felony, absent an indictment approved by a grand jury. The indictment has two purposes. First, it must put the defendant on notice of exactly the crime that has been charged so he may be so he may prepare his defense. Second, the indictment sets the parameters for the defendant's closely related right to double jeopardy protection also set forth in the Fifth Amendment. That is, by stating the crime charged, the indictment enables a defendant to claim double jeopardy violation if the prosecutor attempts to try him a second time on the same offense. Here, uh, the indictment fails to say what the crime is. Bragg says he's charging Trump with felony falsification of records under Section 175 of New York of New York's Penal Code to establish the offense. Bragg must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Trump caused a false entry to be made in his business records and did so with the intent to defraud that specifically included trying to commit another crime or aid or conceal the commission of that other crime. Nowhere in the indictment does the grand jury specify what other crime. The other thing he talks about is how did he manipulate the grand jury? said you can't do that. Prosecutors don't get to be coy with the grand jury. The district attorney is a grand jury's legal advisor in the indictment process. Consequently, he has a duty to instruct the grand jury on the law applicable to the charges proposed. So what crime did Bragg's office instruct the grand jury that Trump was trying to commit or conceal by falsifying business records? Why did he do that? We'll talk about what Andrew McCarthy says coming up next. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric still has a laryngitis. Let's just finish here with this uh, Andrew McCarthy uh, uh, article that he wrote. 
uh, yesterday. Uh, we need not speculate why Bragg was being so coy about this, talking about uh, Bragg and uh, the the fact of he won't identify what the specific crime is because we need we don't don't need to speculate. He doesn't have another crime. At his press conference, he blathered about federal campaign finance law, but he knows he lacks jurisdiction to enforce federal law. He further mumbled something about state election law, but those, and you might imagine, apply only to elections for state office, not the presidency. And the DA's stream of consciousness about Trump's intent to defraud tax authorities is belied uh, by the fact that he does not accuse Trump of evading taxes. Despite having already prosecuted the Trump Organization for tax evasion, a case that neither named Trump as a defendant nor cited the hush money scheme as a source of tax crimes. So that's the thing. I mean, it's you you had to, as a lawyer, be watching this and just say you had to be embarrassed for Bragg because you're saying legally because you're like, oh, my God, he's got nothing. He's making this stuff up as he goes along. I mean, it was bad. The other thing that was really interesting is all the payments came in 2017. This is this is really interesting. Uh, all all the payments came in 2017, and Bragg says he committed the crime. Remember, the crime is not the payment. The crime is the the crime is Trump uh, writing the checks, and you know that's that's the crime. Trump he didn't write the checks till 2017, and Bragg claims. He did it in order to win the 2016 election. He committed the crime in order to win the election. He had already won the election by the time he committed the crime. So like I said, across the board, everything in the, is this is just so freaking bad. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. 866-90-RED-EYE if you'd like to get aboard and uh, chat. Eric, still under the weather. Yeah. Text me yesterday, and uh, we did discuss. Uh, we just we texted just for about a minute or so. I don't want to bother him because it's like I I know when when he texts me if if he wants to have a conversation I know it, <laughs> and so he's just really feeling under the weather, and I think he went to the doctor again. So um, we just hope he's uh, he's uh, better soon. You know, one thing about yesterday that just didn't impress me at all. Everybody, I don't care whether it was on Fox News, this historic moment, this historic moment, this historic, never had, and I know that, but you know something after the impeachment, after the Democrats basically have destroyed the seriousness of impeachment, 
well, the Democrats have destroyed the seriousness of a ex-president being indicted. Doesn't mean anything. And so, you know, it's just, you know, this historic day. Oh, shut up. I'm so, come on. <laughs> My, it, it, to me, it would be historic if they actually had substance to the indictment. There's no substance to the indictment or the no substance to the non-indictment uh, to basically uh, quote Andrew McCarthy. Uh, McCarthy. You know, it's just it's so it's just so incredibly weak. There's still this is where I get that sense of perverted awe. Like, wow, I can't believe they're doing this. But understand, and I said this in the first hour, and I may repeat it every single hour at the top of the hour. Understand that the strength of the case uh, doesn't matter to brag and doesn't matter to the, 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 the Democrats. It's like, this is exactly like when we talk about the so-called, quote, liberal journalists. They're not journalists. They are political activists. Understand that Bragg is a political activist. He is not a district attorney. That's what his title is. That's not what he is doing. He is a political activist pursuing a political agenda. And part of that political agenda is intimidating anybody on the other side that we will destroy your life. Just like we talk about the reporters, they don't care if they get a story wrong. They don't care if they're called biased. They don't care, you know, if they are found to be 100% wrong and told on social media they're 100% wrong. They don't care. It was like after the Mueller investigation. Eric and I were sitting here, and there were conservatives saying, now see, the media needs to go back to journalistic principles, and the media needs, and we're like, shut up. We were saying this to conservatives. Shut up. You're trying to make the case that they're journalists. They're not. They're political activists. They simply sit there and go, okay, uh, we succeeded here. We might not have succeeded here. What's the next lie that we can push forward? What's the next abuse of power that we can be involved in in order to win our narrative or push our narrative a, a, a little bit further. And that's all Bragg's doing. Bragg wants you to know that if you don't, forget about if you commit a criminal act. You know, this whole tough on crime thing. He was mocked big time on that one. It's not tough on crime. I'm going to be tough on crime. No, you're not. And, and so understand... Everything is about political activism. It's not about enforcing the law. It's not about, you know, making the city of New York. It's not about making Manhattan safe. It is only about a political agenda to intimidate anybody and destroy the lives of anyone who dares challenge them or has a differing opinion. And they're sending out the message, we do it to Trump, we can do it to you. We've seen it in the liberal transgender activist movement. That's one of, that's where you've really seen it. We will destroy your life if you don't agree with us. 
And now you see it here in law enforcement. Agree with us? Submit to our will or we will abuse our power and come after you. You You saw it in COVID. We will destroy your life if you don't do what we tell you. And it's still there. I mean, it's still there. Democrats are still pushing, for example, there's no science behind, you know, lockdown of schools or what 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 happened. That was all about power. It's about power and control. And that's what you're seeing here uh, again. I want to go to, uh, let's go to the uh, uh, my audio here that I have from, uh, this was uh, Brett Barry yesterday. By the way, he's one of the ones that kept going, historic day, historic day. Histor-. I was so sick of hearing that yesterday. It's meaningless to me. It's just, I guess it, it's historic that it's going on in the history books, but I don't need to be melodramatic. This is just standard operating procedure for the Democrats. We've seen it for a while. Impeachment was bogus. This was bogus. We now know, and I'm glad I did see yesterday, I believe it was Victor Davis, uh, Davis Hansen who said that. Uh, who talked about the fact that, well, now with the Hunter Biden thing, we know without question the first impeachment was bogus. Well, we said it back then. Impeachment means nothing anymore. Why? Because the Democrats didn't use it in a serious way. And this whole rhetoric, too, no one is above the law, as his attorney said, well, no one's below the law either. You know, you this whole thing, the Democrats saying no one is above the law, well, except... Uh, 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 Hillary Clinton and Brennan and Clapper and looking at all, all these people that did things that could have been prosecuted. But uh, here is uh, 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 Brett Barry yesterday with Jonathan Turley. Let's bring in Georgetown, Washington, uh, George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley. Uh, Jonathan, I was anxiously waiting for this uh, indictment, and I'm flipping through it. I'm, after our talks again and again and again about the bootstrapping of the misdemeanor to make it a felony, looking for the underlying felony. Yeah. Were you looking for it, too? Yeah. It's like Orient Express without the body. I mean, you, you, you're looking for it, and it just never comes up. And the weird thing, I've never seen an indictment quite like this one. That is the key linchpin. That's how you get beyond the statute of limitations. I know a lot of judges that would have been not too pleased to receive an indictment like this and would have said, you know, what the heck is this? I mean, what are you alleging? And Bragg just sort of waved it off and said, I don't have to really say. But my question is, how did the grand jury understand what it was doing? We'll see a little better with the Bill of Particulars. But it really raises concerns as to how well the grand jury understood these key linchpins. Because this thing has the feeling of like a legal slurpee. It, it, it's instantly satisfying, but has no nutritional value. It, it, you, there's really nothing there. You didn't see anything that we didn't already know. I mean, we were going in saying, even if there are all these counts, now we know there are 34, but as far as the there, there, tying it to the federal crime, you're assuming it's federal election law, right? I am. Look, the thing is, this is basically what we expected. You had people like Lanny Davis, who represents uh, Michael Cohen, saying, I'm warning you, there's going to be a lot of new crimes here, and it's going to, there's going to be a lot of new facts. 
Well, it wasn't. I mean, th this was the business falsification theory that we've talked about. The only surprising thing is that Bragg seemed to have solved the question of his authority through ambiguity. He just removed any direct references to what this underlying offense was. And he was asked about it in the press conference and essentially said, I don't have to tell you. Yeah. And he will eventually have to say in the Bill of Particulars. He will. And my guess is it's going to be a federal election claim. I mean, this, the, the, state, the reference of the state election law was so general and ambiguous, I don't think that that could be the, sustain this type of action. So are you thinking that he's betting that this judge is just, because it's this big of a case, is not going to dismiss it? Yeah. It's like that scene in Braveheart when he says, I hope we didn't get dressed up for nothing. I mean, it's, he's hoping that this judge is going to be very timid and not throw this out. But there are substantial threshold legal questions here. And this case could collapse uh, before it gets to a trial. And this is not the only judge that will have to look at this. And I think that has to weigh heavily on him because uh, there's no there there. Now, whether he can fill in those gaps, we'll have to see. But you would think. If you were going to indict a president, you would, you would rise to that moment of history and tell people with precision what it is that you want to convict him of. We're obviously following a lot of different cases that are happening in a lot of different places, and we'll follow it all. But on this same day, the Ninth Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals, rules attorney's fees in the amount of $121,972.56 are awarded in favor of appellee Donald J. Trump against appellant Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels. Yeah, we, we didn't find any evidence of what Bragg's alleging, but they may have found evidence that there is a God and he has a great sense of humor. I mean, the fact that these things would happen at the same time is absolutely otherworldly. Uh, but that is one decision that is not going to get reversed. Uh, I'm telling you, that was funny yesterday when it's like, Stormy Daniels must pay. And I'm thinking, somebody has this wrong here. It's like, it happened right after... <laughs> right after Trump left court, all of a sudden Stormy Daniels has to pay him for uh, uh, legal fees. You're like, you couldn't write, you couldn't, if if you wrote this, nobody would believe it. But yeah, I, I think he's uh, covered a lot. And what what you also have here is something that we talked about the other day. Everything with Trump, when you look back at everything, Russia collusion, there was never a charge. Nobody ever had an allegation. It was all, he's a traitor, he's colluding with the Russians. We now know it was the Hillary Clinton campaign set him up. They paid They paid for uh, and created the lie, which was the dossier on, uh, on, uh, on Trump. You know, so that, that was created. And we know that it was the Russian national, Iggy Danchenko, that helped to craft the dossier, which means the only campaign in in uh, 2016 that colluded with the russians was the hillary campaign by their own standard but everything has always been the allegation the allegation or a general allegation and it continues here and from what i know i don't know when they have to present the bill of particulars i know uh that that uh, the lawyers said that uh, the 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 next time they file motions will be in four months, so that will be in August, and then Trump has to be back in in uh, in December. Uh, but this will be a continuation now, months after months after months, 
about speculation about the crime that Donald Trump has committed that he's already been arrested for. That in itself probably will affect a lot of people's opinion when they say, well, why is he arrested if nobody knows what the crime is yet? Because we don't know what the crime is. Because the the DA said, I don't have to tell you. And that's a legit question. Then how did he get through the grand jury? How could the grand jury indict for a crime if the grand jury didn't know what the crime was? Man, there's so many questions here. 866-90-RED-EYE. Least owner-operators should be aware of four common revenue myths, lest you fall into the trap of mistaking revenue for profit. Myth 1. Concentrate on increasing revenue because costs will take care of themselves. This is not true, as costs are fundamental to the profit equation and the area where owners exert the most control to improve. Myth 2. More revenue per mile is the answer to all problems. Though carrier pay packages differ in structure, revenue per mile really doesn't change much from company to company. But there can be a big difference in miles, overall gross revenue, reimbursements, and fees. Myth 3. All you have to do to be successful is run a lot of miles. In reality, revenue is only half of the profit equation. Costs are the other half. It's possible to generate a lot of revenue, yet spend a dollar ten to make every dollar. Myth 4. You can tell how well you're doing by the size of your settlement check. The settlement check is only a part of the success picture. Miles driven, loads hauled, conditions, mechanical problems, time off, and especially costs all have to be considered. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric still has the laryngitis. Ugh. Just uh, reading here from Fox News, they they took quotes from the CNN talking heads and uh, former FBI director Andrew McCabe uh, called, not exactly friendly to Trump, uh, called Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's indictments a disappointed, uh, disappointment. Quote, if I had to characterize it, it's a disappointment. I think everyone was hoping we would see more about the direction that they intend to take this prosecution. What is the legal theory that ties that very solid misdemeanor case, <laughs> 40, 34 counts of misdemeanors, to the intent to conceal another crime, which is what makes it a felony, McCabe said. It simply isn't there. Now, it's possible that the DA has an elaborate and solid theory 
that's backed up by a lot of evidence, and he just decided to conceal that at this point. That would be a strange decision on his part. But nevertheless, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, as we know you would. At the end of the day, though, if all of our legal friends read this indictment and don't see a way to a felony, it's hard to imagine convincing a jury that they should get there. It doesn't matter who you ask, whether they're a friend or foe of Donald Trump legally, you just can't get there. Then in this article talking about the uh, coverage legal analyst uh, Kerry Cordero told uh, anchor Jake Tapper, in terms of a case being brought against a former president, it's a little underwhelming. There's not more to it. There's not more violations, tax violations. There's not an incredible new set of facts that we didn't know already about publicly. It's really the facts of the case as they have existed for almost seven years. Fellow legal analyst Elliot Williams said the unsealed indictment doesn't say a lot, adding it leaves a lot of openings for Trump and his legal team to combat the charges, and leveling misdemeanor charges would have been an easier case for a Manhattan district attorney's office to prove in court instead of the trumped-up felony charges, except you can't get there because the statute of limitations is up on the misdemeanor. Uh, Ile Honig, a CNN legal analyst who earlier in the day hyped the Trump indictment as the Super Bowl acknowledged the, quote, complicated legal question in making the misdemeanor crimes a felony, saying the indictment does not specify the crime that justifies the felony charges. Quote, you heard the defense lawyers, I think, rightly complain about that. Honig said the whole purpose of an indictment is to serve notice on the defendant of what exactly you're charged with and exactly and what exactly you're going to have to defend yourself against. So there you go. There are documents. They do corroborate the fact that money was paid, but they don't necessarily show Donald Trump's exact involvement in it. CNN political director David uh, Shellian pointed out that there was nothing new in the charges and that Trump and his allies will quadruple down in their assertion that Bragg has brought a political prosecution. Giving you 70% each night. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. (laughs) And I'm Gary McNamara. Eric's still out, folks. Laryngitis. Uh, Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want. If you can't listen live overnight, it's there for you. All right, I want to play this. This is from uh, NBC. This is from their nightly news last night. NBC senior legal correspondent, Lord uh, Jarrett, on... Uh, Bragg's, well, 
sordid charges against Trump. As our senior legal correspondent, Laura Jaron. Laura, 34 counts here. How strong does the state's case appear to be? Lester, there is a mountain of evidence offered by prosecutors in court papers today, but the fundamental question is whether any of it amounts to a crime. Expect to hear from Mr. Trump's attorneys attacking the way Bragg is using uncharged violations of federal campaign finance violations to bolster what is normally a state misdemeanor. It appears no court has ever ruled that that's allowed and it's what makes the case legally risky there you go what i love though is there's mountains of evidence may not lead to a crime (laughs) i just love that (laughs) well all that matters is mountains of evidence that there's a crime we have mountains of evidence against trump None of it leads to a crime, but we have mountains of evidence. Understand, the mountains of evidence exist. It's just, it's not a crime. When you look at it, I mean, now, we've, we've played a bunch of different analysis of it. Here's how I see it, just in, to encapsulate it here, the, the actual charges on the, the, the business fraud. They still didn't get to where the intent to defraud was. So on that, just on that charge alone, the misdemeanor charge, which is where was the intent to defraud? Who who got ripped off money-wise? And it seems like Bragg is trying to somehow take a state law that wouldn't apply to a federal election just to make the rhetorical point that, well, uh, Trump was keeping information from the voter and that's against a state law that exists out there somewhere, that that was the attempt to defraud. Temp was attempting to temp. Trump was attempting to defraud because he wished to keep negative news from the public, and therefore, that's the fraud. He doesn't have a case there. And so you look at the fraud itself, you still don't have, I mean, that was just... That was such a <laughs> pee-poor <laughs> explanation, in my humble opinion, of what the intent to defraud was. And I think that's what... Now, he didn't tie it together as I did, but when he used that, I thought, okay, that's his attempt. That's his attempt to get to the intent to a fraud uh, you know, on it. I did see... I got to find... I do have the audio cut. It was another... Uh, another uh, lawyer was talking about the fact, well, they may be able to get this down to just, you know, uh, 34 misdemeanors. I went, well, they can't because there's no, the statute of limitations has run out on that. So you can't sit there and say, well, we get the felony charge dropped uh, to uh, misdemeanor. Oh, sorry, there is no misdemeanor because the statute of limitations has run out on that. So I, I, people have been, a lot of even some of the legal analysts, this is so bizarre, we're all over the place. Uh, uh, yesterday. So you don't have the intent to fraud. Can't find that there. And if that's what Bragg is attempting to convey, that his message is the intent to fraud was people didn't get to hear the negative stuff about Trump. And that's a state law. Well, number one, it doesn't apply to a uh, federal election to begin with. And number two, it's just very, very bogus. Uh, and then, as we know, uh, originally, 
We had thought he was going to attach it to a specific uh, federal election campaign violation, and he didn't go and he didn't specify it. So uh, he has gone to the the state law that doesn't apply, the federal uh, elections law, and then something about possible statements Trump was going to make in the future that were false on taxes or whatever. It's like, what? (laughs) What is this, minority report? Seriously. (laughs) And the other evidence we have is that Trump was planning in the future to say things that weren't true uh, and somehow affected his taxes. We had stated yesterday that the intent to defraud, and we said a possibility would be if uh, the uh, Trump, you know, tried to on the one hundred thirty thousand dollars that he paid, uh, and then the hundred the one hundred thirty hundred and fifty thousand to uh, McDougal, you know, total two hundred eighty thousand dollars. If he tried to deduct that from his taxes as a normal business expense. Well, as we said yesterday, then they'd get, then they had him, but he didn't have any of that, and so the case ends up being weaker. And you sit there now for the next four months. I will say this on the actual case: I would not be surprised if nobody on the left was talking about this by the time we get to the end of the week. If everybody just said, "Okay, let's we're 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 done we're done with this." And meanwhile, you're going to have, there's going to be an examination of this by by lawyers and by the conservative media, as you heard today. This thing really turned very quickly. Now, I was, because I have to get, I just, I have to get my sleep with Eric being out. And uh, I had trouble earlier in the week because we had storms and things like that. And so my sleep has not been been very good. And I've got to, to do the show alone. Got to get your sleep. So I was, uh, after the arraignment, I'm going crazy. I'm on Twitter. I'm checking, does anybody have what's actually in the indictment? Does anybody know, you know, what they're, you know, how they're going to piggyback the misdemeanor to another uh, uh, law broken in order to get to the felony. And finally it started coming out. And so I read it real quick and just went, well, there's really nothing here, but there wasn't really a lot of comment. And by that time, I think it was four quarter after four in the afternoon and I had to get to sleep. So I went to sleep, man, when I woke up, it was just a complete, it was a completely different world. And I'll have some audio from, uh, coming up following the top of the hour, Mick Mulvaney, uh, uh, former Trump chief of staff, I believe, yes, uh, talked about it and said, you know, it had to be a very good day and a very good night when they were coming back, you know, from New York to Mar-a-Lago and look, you know, watching the TV and everything else. And he said, you know, everybody, I mean, Trump never, you know, never Trumpers. Let's put it this way. It's so bad that never Trumpers said this is a bad case. John Bolton, who had stated the other day, that, well, you know, uh, Republicans all supporting this president isn't good. Came out and said, eh, this should be dismissed.
It's so bad. It's so incredibly bad. But as you go through it, as we just did there, everything that we've been talking about, and that's the one thing, everything, there's nothing new for for the grand jury and all the work that they did. And you had Cohen's lawyer uh, come out and say, there's going to be a ton of new evidence. We've got it. We got him. We've got this evidence, this evidence. This. There was nothing new. In fact, there was less than we thought there was going to be. And I think that's really, that just, that took the, that took the air right out of the, chi- oh, wait, this wasn't a Chinese balloon. That took the air right out of the, the, the balloon. Now you're still going to have the rhetoric. I saw that, <laughs> uh, that, uh, oh, what's her name from MSNBC uh, at night? I can't think of it. Rachel Maddow. She was saying, we're not going to go to the Trump. We're not going to go to Trump's speech because all he does is lie. All he does is lie. And I'm thinking about what Eric and I talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, about the uh, the defense that Fox News may use uh, so their hosts get out of the defamation lawsuit. And they said it may be the MSNBC Rachel Maddow suit when she was sued and their lawyers came out. The the lawyers and, and, the, and the 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 the. Uh, the final judgment came out and said, look, this is Rachel Maddow. Her audience knows she lies. She knows she lies. Everybody knows that she lies. And therefore, you can't take anything she says seriously because there's an expectation that anything that comes out of her mouth is not truthful. Like, oh, my gosh. And Eric and I had that discussion a couple of weeks ago when discussing the Dominion lawsuit against Fox, and we went, my God, <laughs> now the MSNBC has been, now has gone to the level of parody. Think about this. I mean, this is where we, this is where we live in, and it, and it could be someday in the law. I hope it, I hope it is. I don't want to go there. But you know how, for example, Twitter, and, and remember, the Babylon Bee was fact-checked many, many times. They were banned from Twitter, the Babylon Bee, for parody. That parody is even being treated in a much more way to censor it and more seriously than Rachel Maddow. Nah, nah she can't defame anybody because everybody knows she lies. And if everybody knows that everything that comes out of your mouth is a lie then there is no expectation that you're ever telling the truth. Therefore, you can't defame anybody. That's how she won. (sighs) (laughs) So I got a kick out of it when that was the headline. Rachel Maddow says, we will not go. He will not go to the Trump speech because he lies, and all he does is lie, and all he does is lie. All right, so according to the lawsuit and your own lawyers, that means Trump is telling the truth. Because you always lie. All the time. That's why you can't be sued for defamation. Because it's now, well, it's in popular culture. Rachel Maddow speaks. Maddow speaks. It's a lie. It can't be the truth. That's what she does. <laughs> and she wins. 
a defamation lawsuit on that. My God. Oh, the world is posterior backwards, is it not? 866, if you want to get in, we do have a line open, 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, Eric uh, is still having problems with his uh, voice, and we hope he gets better uh, very quickly. Man, we just have coming up following the top of the hour, we'll have more uh, audio from uh, analysis of the the uh, the president and his arraignment uh, uh, yesterday. But we also have we have just the the best liberal circular firing squad ever. It's just great. And if you've never heard our liberal circular firing squad update, you want to hear it. It's where the left goes after the left. How one liberal idea comes up against another liberal idea and then boom. So we'll get to that. Um, we'll probably talk more about this, I'm I'm sure, as time goes on. But uh, the breaking news from last night that uh, Brandon Johnson wins the Chicago mayoral contest, uh, replacing uh, former Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot. Now, Brandon Johnson, from what I know, is more insanely left than even Lori Lightfoot. Chicago is getting exactly, you know, exactly what they voted against is what now they've voted for, even in a worse way. It's really amazing. It's amazing to watch these liberal cities make the same mistake over and over and over again. Chicago has, like many other liberal cities, the Kevin Bacon syndrome from Animal House. Thank you, sir, may I have another. Thank you, sir, may I have another. They never get enough. The left, in everything that they believe, makes your life harder And the people of Chicago just voted again. The voters of Chicago, I won't say all the people because I'm sure it wasn't the vast majority of people that voted in this election. We'll see what the final result is on that. But still, they voted to make their lives harder. It really is incredible because the question is, how long, how brainwashed do you have to be to continue to vote for people that don't care about you and whose goal is to make your life tougher, not easier. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. 
This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Eric's out sick still. We're hoping any day now. Let's put it in the sports vernacular. Uh, Eric Harley is day by day with an upper body injury. So, <laughs> and that leads, that's <laughs> a sports analogy, leads right to our liberal circular firing squad. Now, I told you I really didn't watch any of March Madness. Any, I didn't watch any, which is the first time in, in I don't know, 40 years. <laughs> uh, and I, I we went through this yesterday. I just said, for some reason, my interest in sports is just down the last couple of years. So I didn't watch the men. I didn't watch the women's. But uh, the White House, uh, Jill Biden, started a controversy when uh, she was uh, uh, speaking the other day and said that both LSU and um, Iowa, both LSU won the women's national championship, uh, both should come to the White House because they played such a good game. So, I mean, the mocking started right at that moment. <laughs> a participation trophy. <laughs> so, it was going back and forth, and then I, I had seen yesterday that the star of Iowa, Caitlin Clark, said, no, we shouldn't go. The, only the winners, only the winners uh, uh, go. And we know there was some whether it's called trash talk or, or taunting that had uh, 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 gone on. Uh, and and by the way, if, if here's my opinion in basketball. <laughs> if guys can trash talk, women can trash talk. End of story. It's a basketball court. <laughs> and believe me, they do. Uh, but this was where I went, wow, this is just great. Shannon Sharp fears that First Lady Jill Biden's invitation for the losing Iowa basketball team to join champions LSU uh, at at the White House could cost her husband uh, Joe's re-election in 2024. Uh, Shannon Sharp said uh, uh, that, uh, let me just see here, uh, Jill Biden inviting, here's a headline, Jill Biden inviting Iowa team to White House could cost Joe Biden black votes in 2024. And I went, well, now there's a liberal circular firing squad update. Immediately I went, whoa, wow. You know, Iowa, mostly white. Caitlin Clark, white. Uh, the the uh, the star of uh, uh, LSU, uh, Angel Reese, uh, black. Mike, so is Shannon trying to say this is a black and white thing? Well, apparently, yeah. So the black and white thing, the racism thing, now gets, or should I, let me reverse it. The <laughs> participation trophy philosophy gets hit head on by the racist philosophy. I got a chuckle out of it. Maybe you didn't, but I did. I went, well, that's great. But as for the trash talk stuff or whatever, I don't, that's yes, no big deal. Violence, yes. You saw the one, 
I did see that, the one uh, woman after the game, the one woman basketball player that got uh, sucker punched. Oh, that was bad. That was brutal. But, uh, yeah, there you go. All right, 866-90-RED-EYE. And there's my sports update uh, for today. I want to play this came from uh, uh, this audio came from News Nation last night. Uh, former uh, uh, Trump uh, chief of staff, temporary chief of staff, uh, Mick Mulvaney on, on um, uh, News Nation last night. And uh, this was before the speech and uh, was asked what the plane ride was probably like for the president uh, coming home. And this was really one of the first things that I saw when I woke up, audio cuts, and I went, oh, wow, okay. Uh, everything has changed since I went to sleep because I wasn't sure what direction the inertia would go as to how this was being reported, and I think he hit it right on. Yeah, the, the plane ride was probably a lot better. Um, yeah, I'm sure he was angry. I'm sure he was frustrated. All those things sound right. He was not happy about being indicted. He doesn't think it's good for his brand, for his legacy, for his reputation. But I got to think that once he got on the airplane and started to hear the chatter, because keep in mind, he's probably watching four or five, maybe even six different networks um, to try and get the input on what how today went. Uh, his spirits have got to go up. There's no question about it. Even his staunchest opponents, Mitt Romney, put out something in support of the president tonight. John Bolton, who can't stand Donald Trump, was saying nice things about him on another network. And even former Obama officials are saying that they don't understand exactly why this is happening. All of that combines to probably put him in a really, really good and upbeat mood as he heads back on that flight tonight to Mar-a-Lago. So, so there you go. It's, uh, I saw that. I went, okay, this is going to be interesting. As I was waking up saying, wow, and then just looking at, everything that everybody had, had said, and we've got more audio coming up here uh, in a little bit, analysis on it, and then, you know, going through it point by point, as I did when I actually, when I woke up, because I had just seen, I had just seen bits and pieces of it, and then I went to sleep. Uh, and then when I got up is when I really read the indictment, you know, fully awake with a nice cup of coffee in my hand and went, this is, this is worse this is worse than what we thought it was going to be. And you just shake your head. There is, a, and I've used this term before, with Democrats and liberals, I get this per, uh, perverse sense of awe. It's like, wow, really? You're going to try to do this? But it just shows you the determination that they they had. And I said this at the beginning of the show, and I said it last hour. I may say it every hour because I did see there was a... a uh, uh, a headline uh, beneath a uh, YouTube video from Fox News of Tucker Carlson. It says, uh, Tucker says, these charges don't make any sense. They don't need to. They don't need to. Even if it doesn't get them what they want. Uh, it does, Which is, for example, that they believe, many Democrats believe, that this will help Trump in the... Um, in the uh, uh, in the primary and hurt him in the general uh, election. Even if it doesn't do that for them, they've already accomplished their goal, which is to send fear to any Republican. Because I think it was uh, McDaniel, the the uh, RNC uh, head, who said uh, the crime now is to be Republican. You know, when we talk about the cancel culture, canceling people. If you were Trump, you know. Uh, uh, supporter, you can't come into my restaurant. The whole intimidation uh, tactic that has existed out there that is focused on 
conservatives and Republicans. You see it, as we have mentioned before, in the liberal transgender activist movement. You ask a question, you say, well, wait a minute, you're saying that a biological man can be a biological woman because they say so? You're a transphobe. What are you talking about? I'm asking a question. Asking the question offends them and they could commit suicide. And so you need to shut up. There can be no discussion. We see this at the college campuses. These are right-wingers. Somebody like Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro is the mainstream of conservative individual individual liberty, the autonomous human being, not judging people by skin color and or religion. And you see how the left does not want him to speak anywhere. Matt Walsh, the, the same thing. Up in uh, Tennessee, I guess he canceled one of uh, his uh, uh, speeches that he was supposed to do, one of his presentations. They don't want you to speak, and we've talked about this before. They know that on all the major issues, they can't win. They can't win with the substance of their ideas. They can't win with the substance of the law. And so their goal is to intimidate the hell out of you so you don't dare say what you believe. That you are punished. That's the whole thing. You know, we, we've, we've uh, talked about it. You see it in Canada. You can go to jail for not using the proper pronoun. A father already has gone to jail. We know California wanted that law for some employees. If you didn't use the proper pronoun, jail terms were part of that law. Even the California Supreme Court came out and said, okay, that law is bogus. You can't do that. And when asked, well, wait a minute, these people could go to jail. Well, no, nobody's going to go to jail. It's just written in the law, but we're not really going to enforce it. It's in the law. And so everything is about intimidation to make you fear that our goal is to destroy this president, take everything away from this former president, to take everything away from him, to destroy his life based on bogus charges. And we'll do the same thing to you. Understand this is what it is about. It's multi-pronged, but underneath it, that's what they want to do. As I said earlier, Bragg is not a DA. That's his title. He is a political activist. He doesn't care. He won't be embarrassed if the charges are dropped down the road. He accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He let you know that no matter what, he will abuse his position as a district attorney. He will use the unique power granted to him to abuse it. And take away your constitutional rights and destroy your life. Because if I can destroy Trump's life or I can show you that I can do this to Trump, then what can I do to you? You don't have money like he does. You can't afford the lawyers. We can intimidate you into doing what we want you to do. Well, to the left who believes that you may have success with some people, but 
the majority of conservatives, mm, we don't buy into that. We don't buy into that. And we don't have any fear of the leftist intimidation. Zero. It does the opposite. It motivates us. And that's what you've forgotten about. You forgot about the fact that you don't realize that there's a tens of millions of Americans, hundreds of millions of Americans that understand what the United States is about and understand truly what rights are about. And you don't intimidate us and you won't intimidate us. And we're not going to back down. When you do that, you make you make our effort stronger. We double down. We triple down. As you know, with Eric and myself, we have no problem criticizing Trump when we believe he's wrong. And we've criticized him before. Man, we've got the flag for it. Don't care. We're going to tell the truth no matter what. And I'm going to tell the truth no matter what. I don't care if some... Uh, jerk attempts to intimidate me in some way. It's just going to make me stronger. You try to take away my rights, my civil rights, my freedom, that's going to be your attempt by bullying me or intimidating me? That's not going to happen, ever. As I told a caller last week, frankly, I'm just too old for that. I'm too old to change now. All right, 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll get to some of your uh, calls and comments uh, on, uh, well, the events of yesterday. If you'd like to get in, 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric is still under the weather, folks. Let's go to Jeremy in Providence, Rhode Island. Jeremy, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, I was a no-Trumper, completely against Trump and anything that was going to come forth in his um, re-election and whatnot. But after seeing all of this deflection from the Democratic Party, after seeing the um, mishandling of this case, especially after the fact that it's been turned down by the federal government, um, I am completely disgusted with the Democratic Party. I will not, and I will uh, make sure that the people that surround me and that understand that we were promised many things um, during his uh, during his tenure. We were promised. Uh, And I'll just give you a few of these uh, campaign promises, $15 minimum wage, reinstatement of DACA, 12 weeks of federal pay, family leave, universal pre-K for child care for ages three to four. I can go on. Tuition-free colleges for those households, income less than 125. All these campaign promises, all this manipulation that they use to get us to vote, everything that they have done have not been put in play nothing has been put you're talking about Bi- you're talking about biden correct he okay, has deflected okay. and focused yeah. so much on trying to convict this man instead of trying to f- fix his business and his campaign promises he has allowed this uh narrative to run the course 
because he's afraid of anybody else besides Trump. So as long as they can keep Trump part of the the, the conversation, they can keep, uh, you know, deflecting and and, and keep because they know they don't have any control now because they have left their responsibilities because they were worrying about trying to get Trump to uh, trying to get Trump reelected. You know, very, very quick, very quickly here, just so you know, I mean, what the when you mentioned all the things that Biden promised to do, things that it sounded like you like, understand that in order to get to that point, he would raise corporate taxes that would be a stealth tax on the poor and hurt them the most. There is no more money. He's already done that. He's already done. What do you think inflation is? Inflation is a back backdoor tax on the poor, just like all these citations through tax. Oh, I know that. I, that I wasn't. I, I, I was. I was not stating that inflation is not a tax on people. I was just stating that you seem to be very high up on Biden giving you a ton of things, and that's why you know you didn't like Trump, but you were implying you like Biden because of all these promises. What I'm telling you is, there's no more money you will be taxed to get it because they use envy and jealousy that we're going to tax the bad corporations and we will punish them when the tax is actually on the poor because the companies, as you see, as gasoline taxes, pass it right on to the uh, the poor. That's the only point I was trying to make. But, no, it's inter- you know, just interesting perspective because I'm assuming you voted for Biden because you laid out the programs that you liked and expected from him. Understand, though, that you're going to have to pay for it. And you are paying for it. Yeah, You did make the point on inflation. You are paying for it because you're feeling inflation every single day. And so everything that you got, everybody got during COVID, everybody has forgotten about that now because every day you're dealing with the the, the massive inflation, which still uh, exists uh, uh, today. I'll tell you this, though, one thing, because I it was... It was so poor, and a lot of times it's tough to see what the future is going to bring. But when I just played Mick Mulvaney there talking about how, boom, how things were analyzed so quickly on this, it's almost universally accepted that Bragg is a rogue prosecutor now. Democrats are talking about it under their breath. They're like, my God, this is horrible. This is absolutely horrible what he, what he brought. Bragg may have done the... The impossible. He may have made Trump to the average American, not just Trump loyal Trump supporters, but to many other average Americans, a victim. That's how bad, you know, Bragg's non-indictment, as Andrew McCarthy calls it, is. Because universally looking to go, okay. You're just out to get the guy and put him in jail, and you're making stuff up as you go along. That's not right. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And I'm Gary McNamara. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. If uh, you can't listen overnight, you can uh, 
live overnight. You can listen when and where you want. Eric's out with laryngitis. Everybody knows that, right? Yeah. Just we got to cover just some of the other news out there. There's more stuff on the Trump arraignment yesterday, but I just there's just some stories that are just too funny. NPR was labeled as U.S. state-affiliated media by Twitter on Tuesday night. <laughs> According- <laughs> is anybody, does anybody else find it as funny as I do? I just- <laughs> According to social media platform guidelines, labels on government accounts provide additional context for accounts heavily engaged in geopolitics and diplomacy. Labels on state-affiliated accounts provides additional context about accounts that are controlled by certain official representatives of governments, state-affiliated media entities, and individuals associated with those entities, end of quote. I, you know, I think this, this is, I mean, this is truth in labeling, right? This is transparency. The, the label appears on the profile, profile page of the relevant Twitter account and on the tweets sent by and shared from those accounts. Labels contain information about the country the account is affiliated with and whether it is operated by a government representative or state-affiliated media entity. The platform defined, quote, state-affiliated media, end of quote, as outlets where the state exercises control over editorial content through financial resources, direct or indirect political pressures, and or control over production and distribution. Accounts belonging to state-affiliated media entities, their editors-in-chief and or prominent staff may be labeled. However, the guidelines also note state, quote, state finance media organizations with editorial independence, like the BBC in the UK, for example, are not defined as state-affiliated media for the purposes of this policy. And this, this is, the, I mean, there's just stuff through this whole article that just makes me laugh. NPR's climate and energy correspondent, <laughs> Jeff Brady, responded to the outlet's new designation by writing on Twitter, uh, no. But I just like, the, the, who do they, the climate, <laughs> the climate and energy correspondent <laughs> claims about how much of NPR actually gets from taxpayers spanned from 0.06% of its budget to 6%. The remainder is made up of ads, payments from stations and donations. However, in a 2015, Mark Browning of the American Thinker uh, uh, calculated that NPR's budget is made up of 25% of taxpayer dollars and that its member stations across the country uh, 
uh, haul in another 40% of public funds. According to The Hill, federal funds come from grants provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and in 2021, CBB appropriated nearly $70 million in grants from member stations. Last month, National Public Radio disclosed that they were stopping production on several podcasts as part of a larger series of cutbacks uh, the non-profit news organization has been forced to make in response to a projected $30 million decline in revenue. Uh, I know somebody I used to work with who just got uh, let go from NPR. And he had, he had a, uh, a good position. He's a- actually very good journalist. Very good journalist. Uh, but uh, last month, NPR disclosed that they were stopping production on those podcasts uh, as a part of a larger series of cutbacks of nonprofit news organizations and forced to make in response to the deficit. In November of 2022, the outlet froze new hiring and made $20 million in budget cuts. According to the Washington Post, NPR reported revenue of $309 million uh, and an operating surplus of $28.8 million in fiscal 2021. The most recent year figures are available. This was a sharp increase over the pandemic uh, beset uh, fiscal 2020 when it recorded revenue of $275.4 million and $13.6 million operating uh, uh, surplus. Now, the, the point is, when you look at you know NPR, for example, obviously they're liberal. Now, obviously, the bent is... I'm not saying that they don't have good journalists. I know, I know that one guy. I know somebody else who works for... For uh, for uh, NPR, who is a you know is just base uh, an on the street kind of reporter who reports the the facts you know locally and they're they're actually good. So I know people that work for them that are journalists, but overall the bent and the audience is more liberal. But I just love that NPR labeled as U.S. state affiliated media. Yeah, we may get it because we, you know, we may. Let me just see. Let's see if they they change ours to. Let me see. Gary McNamara, Red Eye Radio, Military Industrial Complex Media. Yes. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! I'm just telling you, that's just great. All right, eight six six ninety Red Eye. If you want to get in, I want. Let's get to more analysis. On uh, the uh, the president and the arraignment uh, yesterday, and the uh, the charges. Uh, this is a legal contributor at News Nation, Jesse Weber. Just overall, uh, you know, talking about the legalities of the charges against Trump. Uh, yesterday. So Michael Cohen, based on all accounts, will still be the state's key witness as this moves forward. Correct. Absolutely. This case arguably could be made or broken based on Michael Cohen's testimony. And the reason for that is he is going to fill in a lot of the holes that we hear in this indictment. A lot of what this supporting statement of facts is, is coming from Michael Cohen's account. Now, I have to imagine that Alvin Bragg wasn't going to make this case or bring this case just on Michael Cohen alone. I imagine there's going to be more there. There's maybe going to be documents. I don't know text messages. We know former President Trump doesn't really like to use text messages, but there's got to be more there than Cohen itself. But this case, when I'm reading this statement of facts and indictment, is largely based on Michael Cohen's testimony. And we know that he is a problematic witness. He's a convicted perjurer. And that's something we know that uh, 
his Donald Trump's defense attorneys are definitely going to jump on. Right. So knowing that now, seeing the charges laid out in the documents, uh, what are the options for the defense right now in terms of the timeline? Change of venue, statute of limitations, fighting the charges, waiving a speedy trial. I mean, there's a lot that they could do here. I think you just named it all. They are going to hit on every single legal challenge. Why? One, because they might have the right to do so. Uh, as I mentioned, I think you can argue possibly for a change of venue. You can argue that this is, a, remember, there's going to be a preliminary hearing where you put the state on its burden. Can you really show enough evidence to go forward with a trial? They're going to argue maybe for a switch of a judge. They're going to argue every single aspect they can, one, because they want to get the case dismissed. And number two, I imagine they want to delay this. I think they want to delay it because they want to get into murky territory. The more you push this back, the more you push this back to the election, the more you push this back, let's say Donald Trump's actually elected president, then you're in very weird, murky territory. Now, I know by law, a president, uh, someone could be convicted of a crime and actually be the president. They could technically serve as the president from prison. But I think the more they push this back, it goes to their advantage. And I can see why they would do that. They're going to challenge it in every which way that they can. And maybe their initial goal is trying to get this downgraded from 34 felonies to 34 misdemeanors. I imagine that's their, their immediate goal. Okay. Now, that's that's the I wanted to play that because... Uh, I don't know who he is. He was on News Nation. I was just listening to it. And I went, okay. Number one, he was saying, you know, he expects that they have more evidence. Won't well, show some of it. They didn't state that. Look, we have a. You know, we we've heard Michael Cohen's lawyers say, oh, there's a ton more evidence. You're going to see it in the indictment, and you saw nothing. You saw less than anybody thought that they were going to give. This that's why it was so shocking. But interesting there, where he just said, I went, hmm. Does he know what he's talking about? They'd like to get it from 34 felony counts to 34 misdemeanor counts. You can't do that because the statute of limitations is gone on that. There's no way they can revive that. So when he said that, I went, hmm, where's that coming from? That's impossible. You can only get to the, well, as has been has been said, as Andrew McCarthy said, that's bogus to begin with, the 34 felony counts that you're going to have judges, and it's not just this judge that's going to be making, you know, certain decisions, but they're going to look at stuff like that. You bring something like that to a judge, and then you can't even tell what the crime is, and you've got it up to 34 felonies based on the same action, because everything is the same action. It's the same. You're not committing fraud to different people, even though there's no intent to commit fraud that they've proven at all or even given the allegation of what the intent to uh, the intent to defraud is but you're paying one person you're paying you know what over installments but it's the same you're you're saying it's the same crime it's one count but you're trying to expand it out and a lot of judges will look at this and say okay that that's bogus right there that that is an indication of a rogue DA but, yeah, I mean, that's about the best that, that I heard in a positive spin, and there was no really positive spin there uh, uh, from Mr. Weber except the fact of they've got to. That's the thing. they got to have more. they got to. There's got to be more because nobody can believe that this is what he laid out yesterday, what was laid out in the non-indictment, as Andrew McCarthy says. 
That's what he called it, a non-indictment, because it doesn't follow the indictment procedure, what they what they came up with. So uh, there you go. Now, what happens? Do we get to, you know, tomorrow? You know, people will talk about it tomorrow. And you'll hear about it on the Sunday morning news shows. But we, we've often said this, what about next week? Will this even be a topic next week? Or by the time we get to Thursday, tomorrow. Not today, but tomorrow. Today can be tomorrow for some of us, but actually uh, <laughs> today is today and tomorrow is Thursday. This is Wednesday. When you work overnight, your time schedule gets all messed up. Uh, but by Thursday, we'll be talking about, wait a minute, this Chinese balloon. Would the reporters start asking that to Corrine Jean-Pierre? They, I'm telling you yesterday, they were just, they wanted her to respond uh, to the Trump thing. And they're like, but you respond to other stuff. You respond to other, and I'm like, why don't you bring this up against other, about other topics? But it was, it was a little bit of a zoo there at the White House press briefing yesterday. All right, 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Now, you just heard that attorney say that uh, well, from right now, it looks like, you know, Michael Cohen is the, you know, is the, uh, is the witness that, uh, will have to get Trump. And he said, well, they've got to have more than just uh, him because, uh, uh, you know, he's has no credibility whatsoever. They have another problem and it's, uh, Robert Costello, former legal advisor to Michael Cohen. Everybody has sort of forgotten about him, uh, we'll have some audio from him and what he had to say a couple of weeks ago because he is the one that heard what Michael Cohen was saying on on TV and then called up Bragg and said, <laughs> that's not the truth. And so he actually was able to get and testify before the grand jury. Now, they, the grand jury could have refused him, but the grand jury apparently wanted to hear what he had to uh, uh, say on it. So he... I. I'll let you hear him speak because he's got no reason to do this. There is no benefit for him to, you know, come out in the open and say, here's what I want to do. And, uh, you know, I was his former legal advisor. Uh, he waived attorney client, uh, uh, privilege so I can talk and I'm going to talk and basically saying Cohen's a liar. So what else do you have? But we'll have, some audio from Costello coming up here in just a little bit. This is Red Eye Radio. On Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio 
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Eric still up. Laryngitis. Bad. Not good. Hopefully back soon. I've said it in so many ways. I don't know what else to say. I did uh, get a text from him yesterday and said, still bad. So uh, <laughs> I gave the sports analogy last hour. <laughs> He's day-to-day with an upper body injury, his throat. So, <laughs> uh, All right. Yesterday, interesting day to say the least, right? I did notice that almost all the media, uh, when they when all the cameras were waiting for, uh, I guess uh, waiting for uh, Trump and the Secret Service, or Trump basically to um, be processed and then head to the uh, jury room, and he was walking by the place where the press was. All the media had to make known that there was a very attractive blonde police officer there. It's like, all right, everybody had a headline on it. It's like, ah, get a life, please. Get <laughs> yeah, I did notice when I was watching. <laughs> but I wasn't going to bring it up. I wouldn't have written a story on it. Uh, but so, yeah, in, interesting day to say the least. Now, we talk about the fact that so many uh, live in the bubble of today, and especially people on the left living in the bubble of today, that what happens tomorrow or what happened yesterday doesn't matter, what happens tomorrow doesn't matter. It's just the bubble. We judge everything by the standard of what it is today, and we ignore Things that may change our impression of what we see today, but we just leave them out. And one of them is Bob Costello. When you look at uh, the entire uh, indictment from Bragg against uh, uh, Trump. And this is the fact that Michael Cohen is going to be their best witness. You know, and uh, he's a convicted perjurer. But it's not only that, it's the fact that, was a month ago, whatever, his former legal advisor heard what Michael Cohen was saying and said to himself, that's all a lie. That when I was his legal advisor, that's not what he told me. So he said, I'm going to inform the Trump camp, and I'm going to inform the DA. And I'll let him tell his story, as he did on Tucker Carlson about uh, two and a half weeks ago, I I think this, uh, this was. And so he is going to be, if Cohen testifies, if this ever gets to court, and there's still a great question of whether it will or not, Cohen will testify, and so will Mr. Costello. I guess you can judge whether you think that his testimony would be effective uh, against whatever Cohen would have to say about Trump. Here we go. 
We have audio cut here. Audio. Thank you. The least. Um, I just spent two hours or so testifying before the grand jury in downtown Manhattan, and uh, I got my point across, although it was clear to me that the Manhattan DA's office did not want to get to the truth. I need to explain that a little bit. I called them up uh, after I saw Michael Cohn on TV stating things that he said he was going to tell the grand jury and had told the grand jury that were contrary to what he told us when we first represented him in April of 2018. So I'm sitting at home watching these lies, and I said, I've got to do something about it. I don't represent Donald Trump, but I do stand for justice, and I think I have a legal obligation to inform both sides. So that's what I did. I had a ton of documents that I had prepared back in 2019 for the Department of Justice. The U.S. Attorney's Office called me up and said, Mr. Costello, we would like to talk to you about your representation of Michael Cohn. I laughed and said, can I presume you have a waiver of, this, of the attorney-client privilege? And they said, you presume correctly. I said, fine, send it over. I'll be delighted to talk to you. Uh, that waiver is very clear. And once we had that, I prepared 330 emails, uh, a bunch of text messages. I prepared a contemporaneous report of our first meeting with Michael Cohn at the Regency Hotel in Manhattan, as well as a contemporaneous notes of the interview I had for two hours with the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, as well as contemporaneous notes of an interview by the House Committee on Intelligence, who sent three investigators to my office, one of whom is now uh, Dan Goldman, a congressman here in New York. So I had all of this material ready. I sent it to Donald Trump's lawyer, and I sent it to the Manhattan DA's office. And I contacted the Manhattan DA's office, and I asked, could we meet with Alvin Bragg? Because I wanted to present this to Alvin Bragg as I had presented it to the Southern District. I wanted him to look me in the eye and assess my credibility. Did I have more credibility than uh, Michael Cohn? Because Michael Cohn, in my uh, opinion, was lying about just about everything. I specifically told them that there were two main points that I wanted to make clear. That Cohn had told us that when we first met him, that he was suicidal. Why is that important? Because when you're suicidal, thinking that that's the only way out of your legal mess, and you're presented with the following options, that you can cooperate against Donald Trump and provide information that would get you a get-out-of-jail-free card, and you respond to us, I do not have any information on Donald Trump. And he said it many times during that two-hour meeting, I swear to God, Bob, I don't have anything on Donald Trump. And I had my law partner who knew Michael Cohn for 10 years on Columbia Grammar and Prep School here in Manhattan because Cohn was on the board of directors. Yeah. Uh, and when I heard him say that he was suicidal the weekend before standing on the roof of the Regency Hotel, I didn't know whether he was a drama queen or telling the truth. So I looked at my partner and he shook his head and nodded, I think he's telling the truth. And later on, we got that corroborated by the Reverend Jerry Falwell and his wife who had dinner with Michael Cohn, who told him the same thing. Why is that important? Because when you're willing to give up your life in order to avoid these legal troubles, when they're insurmountable to you, and you're offered a way out, so all you have to do is cooperate on Donald Trump. Do you have anything on Donald Trump? And he says, no, repeatedly, I swear to God, Bob, I don't have anything. Then you know that you've got a guy who probably doesn't have anything. It's certainly easier to give up information on Donald Trump than it is to kill yourself. On top of that, 
while he's making these speeches during two-hour period, he's marching up and down on the other side of the conference table like a tiger in the zoo, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He looked like he hadn't slept in five days. He looked like somebody who was suicidal. And every once in a while, he would stop and point at us. When I say once in a while, he did this at least 20 times and said, guys, I want you to know, I will do whatever the F I have to do. I will never spend one day in jail. Now, what he's saying is, I'll lie, cheat, steal, shoot somebody. I will not spend a day in jail. Do you think a guy whose mentality is that is going to not admit that he has information on Donald Trump? But having said that, the DA's office didn't ask me questions to bring that up. And I, I brought it up anyway. I, didn't, I ignored their questions and simply gave them the information. There you go, uh, uh, Bob Costello, uh, an attorney, and Michael Cohen's former uh, uh, attorney, former legal uh, ad- advisor. And like I said, that's strong stuff. And, and he, is, he did a couple of weeks ago after he testified uh, in front of the grand jury. And then the grand jury went silent on it. And, you know, that, that's when the period of silence where everybody said, okay, what's, you know, what's going on? And so you see that he would be the one who would, uh, you know, help to destroy the credibility of Michael Cohen, who doesn't really need a lot of help destroying his credibility since he's already a convicted perjurer. So on this case, when you break it down, and that's what we've done throughout the show today, break everything down on it, you say, what is the substance of this? You know, what is what is strong in this case? And nothing strong in the case. The original charge of fraud, of business fraud, isn't strong if, if as a misdemeanor standing alone. Because you cannot find the intent to defraud. And Bragg was trying to say, The intent to defraud was the fact that the people of the state of New York, because he's trying to take the state crime and federalize it somehow, because the people of the state of New York, Trump was trying to hide from them the truth. That's, you know, he didn't say it, but that's what I got. He was attempting to imply, as you're trying to read through, because he was so weak yesterday in his presentation. You're like, okay, so he's saying that's the intent to fraud? That it's going to be, he's, it's, a, it's a state law, but this is a federal election. So that doesn't apply for a federal election. That applies maybe to a state election. But specifically, what does that law say? And so he was just, he was throwing out stuff that just didn't apply. So, I, you know, it's just across the board. It really is amazing that we're to this point. It, it shows a certain desperation from Democrats. But at the same time, that desperation, I believe, comes from the fact that they're political activists and their main goal, their main message is to send to you, the rank-and-file conservative or Republican out there, that we will come after any of you who dare to stand against us and to the point where we'll do something this idiotic just in an attempt. Even if it doesn't work, it's our attempt to destroy Trump, and it sends the message to you that we also can come after you. Not going after the little guy, going after the big guy. We're going to make his life a living hell. What do you think we could do to you? And I really think that's part of it because that's what part of the political activism is. 
part of what you see in the left. And the most perfect example of the strongest use of this tactic by Democrats is a liberal transgender activist movement. You wish to discuss it or ask questions, you're a transphobe. You're a bigot. Uh, you're advocating people getting killed if you simply say, how can you say that a biological man can be a biological woman just because they say so? I think in most corners and in most circles in America, that's a that's a pretty logical question. Yeah, how can you say that? For bringing up that question, you're a transphobe. You're a hate monger, and that's getting people killed. How am I getting people killed? Well, because... 25% of transgenders attempt to commit suicide. That's what the professor at Berkeley said last summer to Josh Hawley. And so that's where you are right now. And so it's all about intimidation. We saw it with Black Lives Matter back in the summer of 2020. Everybody get aboard or we'll roll over you. Corporations submitted to their will and their lie. You know, you saw it with uh, in, in Georgia when Biden lied about the Georgia election law that got Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game out, and it was all based on a lie. Their tactics are tactics that hate groups use. They lie in order to get people to hate each other, and they use that as an intimidating force. That's why, you know, as I said yesterday, and Antifa, well, Eric and I, knew about them before most people. We called them Antifa. We, they weren't, nobody had the incorrect pronunciation for them yet because Antifa is anti-fascist. Well, you find out anti-fascism is actually fascism. And now, in 2023, anti-racism is racism, judging people as groups and not individuals. And so everything they try to do is try to gain the moral high ground by intimidation and lies. And I think this is just another, this is just another extension, another tentacle of uh, that effort. If you want to get aboard, we do have lines open, 866-90-RED-EYE. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller. And I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. At the core of Compliance Safety Accountability, or CSA, is FMCSA's Safety Measurement System, or SMS. The SMS uses seven safety improvement categories called BASICs to examine a carrier's on-road performance and potential crash risk. The categories of BASICs are unsafe driving, hours of service compliance, driver fitness, controlled substances and alcohol, vehicle maintenance, hazardous materials compliance, and crash indicator. Under FMCSA's old measurement system, carrier performance was assessed in only four broad categories. Violations or crashes that have occurred within the previous 24 months of performance data are included in CSA calculations, but more recent events are weighted more heavily than older events. Violations or crashes that have happened within the past six months are weighted 33% more than events that occurred six to 12 months ago and violations that are older than a year are weighted 66% less than recent violations. This allows a carrier to improve their CSA score gradually as they see fewer and fewer violations. 
This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Hardy, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, so uh, what happens uh, after uh, uh, this week? Not really anything for four months. That's when any motions have to be made. So that's August. And so what happens next? What should the Republicans, uh, you know, what will the Republicans be doing? Well, will Joe Biden now get a higher profile from Republicans? We'll have some news about more stuff that uh, has uh, uh, come out from uh, James Comer concerning uh, the Biden and the the classified uh, uh, documents. Uh, I I would disagree with Republicans who say that now we should have Republican DAs come out and do the same thing as uh, Bragg is doing. No, if uh, I think that <laughs> all Republican DAs should be aggressive for law-breaking and law-breaking from politicians, but no, I don't wish to be that. I want any case that a Republican brings to be strong, for the Republicans to fail miserably and and have uh, conv- convictions, bogus convictions overturned by higher courts is going to be no benefit to us. Uh, I just I disagree with that, and you've saw you've seen that on social media the last couple of days. We should do the same thing that they do. No, we shouldn't. No, we should articulate our message extremely in a in a clear and concise way. And the other thing is, you know, it's something that we've talked about before: the messaging messaging of Republican candidates has to be uh, has to be right on because Democrats will take advantage of anything that you do. Republicans won't on that, on the rhetorical sense. But Democrats, as we talked about yesterday, will take a lie and pound on it. Republicans will take the truth, mention it, and then seem to forget about it. And you can't do that. The other thing is, candidates for public office, you better be squeaky clean. Because if you're not, the Democrats will attempt to take advantage of you at it on every turn, as we see here with Trump. And we see her in the state of Texas. We've seen it here where where uh, uh, Democrats have gone after Republican candidates. Rick Perry they went after. And, and weren't successful in, in doing it, but it's known. I mean, it's something, you know, using rogue prosecutors to go after Republicans has been done here in the state of Texas. So if you're going to run for office, you better do things on the up and up. Why not? You're conservative, right? We should be doing that anyway, right? Fourth branch of government, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. 
And he is Eric Harley. I almost said with amnesia. Uh, with, with laryngitis. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, he's, not, uh, he's not back yet. Uh, and I'm Gary McNamara. All right, before we get to a Biden story, this uh, we brought it up once, but I think it's worth bringing up again because it's really it's really new. We had touched on it before, and this is uh, on the indictment and the DA Bragg's timeline of the Trump election influence allegations. And this is something that Andrew McCarthy brought up that it's like I did see it on social media. But I didn't see it really anywhere except it may be somewhere. But you know, again, I don't get to see anything. But I did see it. Happen to see it on Fox and also uh, National Review. I believe also made mention of something close to this. But as he said, the 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 timeline. He said the problem was that the related indictment counts uh, occurred months after Trump was elected president. And McCarthy said, this is a quote from McCarthy, I kind of don't understand why this hasn't been more of a thing. But what Bragg is alleging is that Trump took a series of actions to defraud the voting public in connection with the 2016 election. Says the indictment then goes forward with all these counts that begin on February 14th, 2017, and continue until December 5th of 2017. Well, that's all months after the 2016 election. He said, McCarthy ripped that in, if in Bragg's fantasy world, the payments uh, to Daniels uh, were, a, were considered a campaign-related uh, Federal disclosures wouldn't be required until several months after the election. So even if you take it that way that he pleads it, how could this conceivably have affected the 2016 election? So, I mean, that's in, that, uh, that's interesting. And there's so many different things that they can... That you know the motions. I now I'm looking forward to four months from now because that's when they'll do all the motions. Any motion to dismiss this is going to be in this is going to be in the public or not in the public because uh, it, when when I saw Mick Mulvaney, uh, former uh, temporary uh, uh, chief of staff for um, Trump, yesterday say, you know how the day went, and it was interesting because a lot of the day that that this thing was growing and growing and growing in a particular direction where the inertia was moving, I was sleeping. And so when I went to sleep, you know, I got to see just, you know, the analysis of the indictment. I didn't see the indictment until I actually woke up after probably about quarter after nine. I couldn't sleep. I woke up. And, okay, I got to find out what's going on. And and so when, um, uh, you know, when uh, I went, went through it, I went, hmm, uh, okay, you know, where does, you know, where does this whole thing go? And I just didn't. I was I was absolutely, but when I actually read the indictment and realized there was no crime, is when I went, "Whoa, this is actually worse than the last one." Uh, but I think the timeline is is just is fascinating on it. In other news, hmm, while everything else was going on, 
this. You know, they say the toughest case against that, that the, 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 the biggest case that they have against Trump is the classified documents. But the problem with that is the fact that Biden has a problem with classified documents. And after this came out yesterday, does Biden have a much greater problem than Trump on the classified documents? New York Post had this. President Biden's former assistant contradicted White House claims that classified documents discovered at Biden's post-vice presidency D.C. office this past November were in a locked closet and revealed the White House sought to quietly retrieve the papers, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer said Tuesday. Comer added in a statement that Chung, who sat for an hour, sat for an interview with the panel, provided startling information that undermines the Biden White House's narrative on the matter. Today, we learned that when Joe Biden left the vice presidency, boxes containing classified documents, vice presidential records, and other items were stored at three different locations around the Washington, D.C. area, including an office near the White House, an office in Chinatown, and eventually the Penn Biden Center. At some point, the boxes contain, uh, containing classified materials were transported by personal vehicles to an office location. The boxes were not in a locked closet at the Penn Biden Center, and remained accessible to Penn Biden employees as well as potentially others with access to the office space. We need to find out who had access to those documents. The Penn Biden Center was set up by the University of Pennsylvania after Biden left the vice presidency in 2017. Its offices at the foot of Capitol Hill came with scenic views and much of the office space was partitioned with glass walls according to photos available online. Comer said Chung's testimony also revealed a previously unknown detail, that then White House counsel Dana Remus sought to recover documents from the Penn-Biden Center office in May of 2022, months before the, the, the reported early November discovery of the records by the president's lawyers which means White House counsel knew in May of 2022. You know what you're getting to here, obstruction of justice, the same thing that they are going after Trump. I mean, I can just, I, I can sniff where the legal eagles are looking at here. That's, this story does not begin in November of 2022, as represented by the President Biden's attorney. In the coming days, the Oversight Committee will follow up with persons of interest in this investigation. Comer made the revelations just hours after former President Donald Trump pleaded not guilty to 34 New York State charges of falsifying business records uh, when he paid hush money to two women alleging affairs during the 2016 campaign. The case is the first time in U.S. history that a former president was targeted with the crime. A president, Republicans say Biden and his Uh, Democratic allies may come to regret. Special Counsel Robert Hur is already investigating whether Biden or anyone in his office 
illegally mishandled classified records. In a separate special uh, counsel, Jack Smith is investigating whether Trump mishandled records after leaving office in 2021. That's probably why when you look at this, and again, when you see this story here, the first thing I think of is Obama stating that you can never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to F things up. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) And when you look at, because uh, all the Democrats, Democrats are privately going, oh, man, you might have blown this entire thing. There are Democrats out there that believe Bragg has blown this entire thing. They've been public on it and said, this is the weakest case. Why is he bringing it? Because now everything will be viewed as political, even if it's not. And so the January 6th committee isn't going anywhere. That, that, that's going nowhere. Uh, the I don't see, I don't particularly see the the evidence, I don't know all the evidence, but the Georgia election case, I don't see it. And if all this is true, if Comer isn't lying, and I don't have any reason to believe he is coming out with this uh, information, if one special counsel goes after Trump for obstruction of justice and they find out that Biden's lawyers did the exact same thing and nobody, nobody goes after you know the the Biden campaign for this or, as Comer said, that he believes one of the documents that uh, Hunter Biden gave to the, was it Burisma? Or was it, I can't remember, was that or the other? No, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Burisma. Was it Burisma? I forgot who he gave it to. That that one of the documents, I believe, given one to, to one of the Chinese uh, companies, one of the pages given to them, was part of the stash of uh, secret documents that Biden had. If any of those two are true, how do you go after Trump? When you have this sitting there, hanging there. And that's the problem. Uh, That's the problem that they have. But that is, when you look at this, you're like, okay, that's actually, that's actually a pretty big, that's a bombshell right there. Because unless Comer's lying, which there's no evidence that he is, he is saying that the assistant to Biden is contradicting what Biden has said on the classified documents. Wow. And that they also found out that the White House counsel knew about those secret documents in May of 2022, which means, all right, what happened between May of 2022 and November of 2022? What in the hell was going on if you knew there were classified documents and you were the White House counsel at that time? And that's why as soon as I read that, uh, I just said to myself, "Oh, oh, okay. First thing you think is obstruction of justice. How wasn't that reported immediately at that point? And then the entire office checked in May of 2022, if what Comer is saying is true. And again, I have no, I'm not doubting his word. I'm just using the correct lingo because we haven't seen the, the, uh, the witness themselves testify. But this is only going to move in one direction, you know, from now on at, at, uh, at this particular point. So, wow. All right. 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. Eric hopefully returns soon. Still has that laryngitis. 
Uh, I wanted to uh, play this. This was uh, from yesterday, Bert Hume. This is while all the activity was going on outside of the uh, courthouse in New York City, and they were just asking him questions. And he made a comment that immediately I went, oh, yeah, we brought that up on the show yesterday. Here's what he had to say because he was being asked about what, you know, what he thinks the American people, uh, you know, how they view everything that's going on. Here we go. Well, I must say I was struck by what was, I guess it was a CNN poll in the last couple of days, in which a distinct minority, 37%, thought there was uh, a, that a crime was involved here. But 60% were in support of the indictment, which means that an awful lot of people who don't think he did anything were, were, were happy to see him pursued anyway. We said that, yeah. Think about that. So you have, that's a significant number of people if you extrapolate that out, because that would roughly be about 25%, you know, was that 25% of the population who believes that he did nothing wrong, nothing wrong. There was no crime, but they agree with the indictment, which means they believe that somebody who they disagree with politically ought to be arrested and hopefully convicted of a crime they did not commit because they disagree with him politically or they just don't like him. Yeah. So we had the same reaction on yesterday's show when we saw that going, whoa, man. And I'm glad that somebody else picked that up. Uh, thanks, Brit Hume, for, uh, for picking that up. That was... I just you wonder though again I mean we we talk about how 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 much of the country has no idea what the country is about to begin with you know I, I, you know it when we talk about the vast majority of not the vast majority with 56 percent can't tell you the three branches of government they don't even know how the you got people walking around going our country stinks they don't even know how it runs no idea. They have no idea what the government's about. No no idea. We're the worst country in the world. Why? Because we are. Because Trump. Can you explain further? No. <laughs> Wait a minute. You asked me? You're asking me two quite a follow-up question? You're a racist. Get out of here. But, yeah, that is disturbing when you think about it. Because that's not any of our mindsets. What? So you know somebody is not guilty or you believe they're not guilty, and you want them prosecuted and convicted anyway. I don't know how else there is to read the poll. When I read it yesterday, I, I thought the same thing and said it on the air and went, am I getting this wrong? So it was actually good to see that Brit Hume picked up on the same thing we did yesterday and went, this is a problem. This is just bizarre. So now you got Democrats who don't want to punish and convict guilty people, but a significant portion of them wish to prosecute and convict people who they believe have not committed a crime.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.